0: scripture reading this afternoon, and we'll turn to the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 27, and we'll read into chapter 20 up to verse 16. So Matthew chapter 19 beginning at verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to Him, "'See, we have left all and followed You, therefore what shall we have?' So Jesus said to them, "'Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me,' will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who were our first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, "'who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. "'And now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, "'he sent him into his vineyard. "'And he went out about the third hour "'and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, "'and said to them, "'You also go into the vineyard, "'and whatever is right I will give you.' "'So they went. "'Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise.' And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my, with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. This is for the reading of God's word and for this afternoon, I wish also to turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as we'll continue our study in Lord's Day 24. Lord's Day 24, which you find on page 53 in the back section of your Psalter book. Lord's Day 24. It continues on. Last week, Lord's Day 23 dealt with justification by faith alone. That we're saved by faith, by grace alone, through faith. And today, Lord J 24 continues on that to emphasize that works do not contribute to our salvation. And so question 62 says, But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? And the answer is that because the righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect, and in all respects conformable to the divine law, and also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. And question 63 asks what? Do not our good works merit, which yet God will reward in this and in a future life? And the answer is, this reward is not of merit, but of grace. And question 64 asks, But does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? And the answer is, by no means. For it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. So dear congregation, last week we mentioned a little bit about Martin Luther and this time of year with the Reformation. We hear about men like him and Martin Luther himself when he was about 20. He became a monk and for about 15 years he spent his life as a monk or as a priest doing his works, praying, fasting, being diligent in his study and subjecting himself to many difficulties. But he never found peace with God that way. He never found any, his way any closer to God until, as we heard last week, that he discovered that justification is by faith in Christ alone. But this is a view of how he approached it, working. But then there was another man who also lived a different life of despair, because that's what Martin Luther found. He, he found himself deeper and deeper in darkness and despair in his life, even though he was trying to find God. But here is another man, uh, Mr. Daniels, who lived a different life of despair. In his world, he was successful. He had not much uh, care about religion, but he was a wealthy businessman. But the stress of that led him uh, to a, a life of alcoholism and other uh, troubles. He, he ran into marriage troubles to the point where his family thought this, everything would end, including his own life, that he would destroy everything in this way. Until at the age of 51, he was wonderfully saved, and he lived for another nine years after that. He had a lot of health complications because of his earlier life, but his family said he was so changed in in his life and his conduct, and he also began to work. He began to pray. He began to read his Bible. They said 68 times he read it through in those years. There was a hunger and a thirst and a desire for the Word of God. He would pray regularly, and so devoted he was to the life of prayer that in, evening, in the evenings, he would, even if he had company, he would excuse himself and go to his room to pray. He could not miss his time with God. And he would, they would see him often in the streets and going down to the neighbor's houses, earnestly pleading with their, for their souls to, to lead them to Christ. And he would do this even in his hospital bed later when he was sick and on his, in the hospital on his deathbed. He would speak to the nurses and to the doctors. And they say in this way he led many people to Christ. And if you look at these two men, at these two aspects, you can say they both worked. And yet there was such a great difference in what, how they did it and why they did it. Martin Luther started out with that Roman Catholic understanding that you first need to sanctify yourselves, that you first must work your way up to God, and then you'll be justified. To first work your way closer to God, and then God will give you a little more grace to come a little closer. But Scripture says we must come to God through Jesus Christ with all our sins for that salvation which He alone can give by grace through faith alone. And it's the fruits of that salvation that produces that zealousness for working, for God, for His kingdom. It's a labor of love. It's not a slavish fear. It's not a fear of God who might otherwise punish you, but it's out of love for Christ for what He has done. And this is what Luther also learned when he came to the understanding of salvation by grace and through faith. And here in this parable that we read in Matthew 20, the parable of these workers being sent out into the vineyard, Jesus is showing the Jews here that salvation is from God alone. It's not dependent on their works or what they can do. And so we would like to, with the help of this parable, to understand the relationship with the sinner's salvation or justification and the work of a believer. And so, our first thought is, we see the workers are hired. The workers are hired. Here, Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner that went out early in the morning. And and Jesus here is explaining what he said in the previous verse at the end of, of chapter 19, where he said, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So it's showing us, it's trying to explain what will happen at the end of the world when judgment comes. God is the owner of the vineyard. He has a vineyard of, that requires many workers, the vineyard of His church, the vineyard of His kingdom, which began with the nation of Israel. And God is the owner. God is the, the ruler over all. And this means also that salvation is of the Lord from the beginning to end. It's what Jonah confessed when he found himself in the belly of the whale at the mercy of God. He said, salvation is of the Lord, not the result of anything that man can do or that man can do against. He tried to run from God, and he did not want to bring the gospel or the message to the city of Nineveh, and yet God sent him. And so even though God does not need us, God hires workers, you could say. He uses His people in His vineyard. He's chosen that through the means of earthen vessels of people in this world, His kingdom will come, and He will be glorified. And through the simple means and ordinary means of of, of humans, God will build His kingdom, even using rebellious people like Jonah. And so here we see in verse 2, the, the workers here agree with the owner for to work for one denarius. This was a fair wage for the day, and they willingly are sent out into the vineyard and begin to work. And as we read on, you see him, he comes back at the third hour, which is nine o'clock in the morning, and he, he sees other people waiting in the marketplace and standing idle without work, and he says, you, you also go and work in the vineyard. And he does the same at noon, and does the same at three in the afternoon, and he sees other people waiting. And he does the same in the eleventh hour, which is about five o'clock in the afternoon. And he asks, why, why are you standing here idle? Why are you not working? And their answer is, well, no one hired us. They want to work, and yet no one is hiring. And this is a common problem in those cultures and In in Haiti, for example, we ran into a number of young people who could find no work. They lived too far from the city. There was no farms, no business close by where to get work. So, at 20 years old, they're standing around idle all day, nothing to do. They have no money to start a business themselves. So that's the picture here. This owner he sees these people even at five o'clock in the afternoon. He says, "Go work in a vineyard for an hour," and so they gladly take that opportunity. And so, what does this mean? Jesus is teaching here the Jews that as they now entered a New Testament age and as the day of this world is passing by, God will also bring the Gentiles into His vineyard. The Jews had been called first at the beginning of the day, you could say, early in the day. God chose that nation Israel. He led them through the Old Testament as His people. That was His church. That was the... the, where he displayed his glory, those were the workers in in his vineyard. But now, in the later hours of the day, he is bringing in the Gentiles. He's bringing in others. But then secondly, we see the workers are paid. And when the workers are paid, it says when evening had come, the owner tells the steward to gather the workers and to begin paying them, but, but begin with the last ones. It's at the end of the day that they're, they're paid, and here in Canada normally we're paid either monthly or biweekly, but there they would get paid daily. And so here at the evening of the world, the judgment day, you could say, they received their payment. And in Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus began to speak to the disciples of, of this payday, of a reward in heaven, of the glory that, an, that awaits and the inheritance of eternal life for his people. But then we also interestingly note the order in which God pays them. In verse, in the second half of verse eight, the owner tells the steward to first pay the workers which began last, the ones who started at 5 p.m. And then work backwards to the ones who had worked all day. The first, or the, sorry, the last are going first and the first last. Now, why is that? Well, it's necessary for this parable to be understood, because if the first ones would get paid first, they would go home and be on their way, would not see what the last people would get paid, so they wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. They, need to, they wouldn't see what they received, and they would just assume that the people who showed up at 5 o'clock would only get a fraction of what they did. But here the owner wants them to see what he is going to do. But at the same time, God is uncovering our hearts with this. Because you can imagine the ones that had come first would be disappointed because now they had to wait to the end before they would get paid. It's difficult to wait. And usually we have the mentality of first come, first serve, and they would expect the same. But God here He uncovers our pride and our self-righteousness that we often have, because we often have a desire to be first. We often have a desire to have more than someone else. We often think ourselves a little better than, than the next person. But in verse 10, it says, when they saw that the workers who came at five were paid one denarius, these workers who started at the beginning now expected more. They expected to receive more than what they had agreed on. He could say they expected a bonus. Maybe we think the same way. Christmas comes around and we think, well, we deserve a bonus this year. The company did well. We might be disappointed if they don't get one. But now all the workers receive the same wage, one denarius. For the ones who started at five, it might have been a pleasant surprise, but for the ones who started early, it was a disappointment. They all received a day's wage, even the last ones for working one hour. And then thirdly we see the workers' complaint. Because in verse eleven, these workers complain to the owners, they're grumbling. And they say, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us. To us who have borne the burden of the day, borne the burden and the heat of the day. And so they're they're grumbling that the owner paid the other ones just as much as, as they received the ones who only worked one hour, the last hour, likely the, the easiest hour, the coolest hour of the day, and the lightest work. It's like they would just had to sweep up the shop after the heavy work was done. But the owner treated them the same as the ones who had worked through the heat of the day. And so they tried to make it sound like their work was so much worth, worth so much more. And so much more difficult. He said, we we carried the burden. We, We did it during the heat of the day. Maybe sometimes we do that as well. Even children can complain. Well, I did more than he did. He didn't help with as much of the dishes. And so it's uncovering our envy and our pride. And his first workers thought that they were a little better, that they deserved more for their efforts than the other workers. But Jesus said the last will go first, and the first last. But then, fourthly, we see God's answer. See what God is demonstrating here through this parable is that salvation is free and full, and the same for all who come to God through Jesus Christ. That salvation does not depend on our works in the least. Salvation is not merited because there's not one person who's wor- more worthy than another, but salvation is the free gift of God. And so the owner's answer here to these workers uncovers our sins, and at the same time, it reveals the, the gracious nature of the God who gives salvation. And so the owner responds with three statements at the end of the parable. And it begins by saying, friend. And it's through Christ alone, the friend of sinners, that God can call his people friends. And so the first statement he says in verse 13 is, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one, Denarius? I'm not doing you any injustice. So take what is yours and, and go your way. See, the workers wanted to measure their wages by the amount of work that they had done. And they thought they deserved more than the others. But the owner is reminding them that their wages was determined by what the owner offered, not by what they put in themselves. And they'd received the wage which they had agreed upon. And so God does no injustice here to the Jews by letting the Gentiles into his kingdom. We all receive that same salvation through the same Savior. Salvation is no different for those who were saved in the Old Testament or now. It's no different for the Jew or for the Gentile. But then secondly, the owner says in verse 14, I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Salvation is the free gift of God, and it's His right and power to do with it as He wishes, to give it to whom He pleases. Because we were all standing idle. We were all standing in that marketplace, idle, not working for God. But God desires to call them into His vineyard, Both Jew and Gentile. And that also has implications for today because there's a lot of misinterpretation about what's happening in Israel and what will happen in Israel. A lot of misunderstanding about the biblical prophecies regarding the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, salvation extends to both Jew and Gentile. It's not about going back to a physical nation but it's about the kingdom of God that now incorporates both Jew and Gentile into that one kingdom with that same salvation. It's about the grace of God in bringing sinners into His kingdom. And He can leave any one of us standing idle in that market square, but it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that He calls us to Himself to enter that kingdom. But then thirdly, the owner says in verse 15, Or is your eye evil because I'm doing good, because I am good? So, he says, he means, are you you envious? Are, Are you covetous? Is your eye coveting what someone else is receiving? Are you envious because of God's generosity to others? They were envious of others coming in at a later time. You can also think of the disciples who only a few verses later would argue about who had the best seat in the kingdom. In other places, they argued who would be the best, the most prominent one, who would be the greatest. But envy is the very opposite of God's gracious nature. Because God gives freely, graciously, not based on our merit. And so envy is a discontent with what God freely gives of his own good pleasure. And it thinks that we are a little more worthy than the next to receive something from God. Envy somehow thinks we are more worthy or worked harder to receive this salvation. And so here the Lord Jesus is saying that salvation is not of works, but a free gift of God both to Jew and Gentiles. And that ties into what our catechism was teaching. In question 62, it says, Why cannot our good works be the whole or the part of our righteousness before God? It says, Because that righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be so absolutely perfect, and in all respects conformable to the law of God, and also our best works in this life are imperfect and defiled with sin. So even these, though these workers complained that they had to work hard all day, none of their work merited anything of their salvation. Because Jesus also teaches in Luke 17, he says, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. We have never done more than what was our duty. Because our duty is to keep the law perfectly in all points. And we have never done that. But their objection was exactly what question 63 of her catechism asks. It says, What? Do not our good works still merit, which God will still reward in this and in future life? But the answer is that reward is not of merit, but of grace. The good works that we do are all because of God's grace to start with. He is the one who employs us in his vineyard, He is the one who enables us, because before that we were standing idle. We were in the marketplace with no work to do. And all the works that we can do, they're only good works if they are accepted by God through the merits of Jesus Christ. And apart from him, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the Bible says. And so the Belgian Confession in Article 24 also says that God is not obliged to us for the good works that we do. But it's the other way around we're obliged to God for any good works that we can do. Because it's God who sends us into His vineyard. It's God who sanctifies him through Christ. It's God who works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And all our works are also a gift of God, the fruit of His Spirit in His people, an evidence of a union with Christ. As the Lord Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. But abide in me and I in you, and you shall bear much fruit. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, They are created in Christ unto good works, saved to do good works, to be zealous of works. And so we must work. God said to the people standing idle there, You also go and work in the vineyard. And so the last question here in the catechism says, but doesn't this doctrine make men careless and profane? We hear that more often. If salvation is all of God, doesn't it just make us careless? By no means, for it's impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. As Mr. Daniels I mentioned earlier, he had a life of gratitude. Out of love for God and his salvation, the joy of his salvation, the love for his neighbor's souls, he went and he worked for a love of God. He spent time in his word, uh, reading his word, studying his word, praying to God, having communion with God. This is a a work of love. These are the the fruits. This is the the, the good works that are produced. Martin Luther also, when he realized what salvation was, his life was dedicated to, to bringing the truth of God's word to the world. It's impossible for him to sit idly by and do nothing. It's impossible for Mr. Daniels to sit at home and do nothing. Their life is so changed by the grace of God. And now, the day is far spent. What hour is it? If the owner came out at 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, at 3, 11, or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, what time is it now? Where is where, the dial on the day of this world? If you're still standing idle in the marketplace today, God calls you, he said, you also go and work in the vineyard. Because if we're not employed by God, then we're still in the service of Satan in the present evil world. As Romans 6 says, we were the servants of sin, but Christ set us free to be slaves of righteousness, we're serving one or the other. But if we're, this, if we're not in the service of God, of the king of His kingdom and His vineyard, then we're still standing idle because we're not doing any good towards His kingdom. And yet both will pay their wages. Because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so today is still the day of salvation. The end of that day has not yet fully come. But Jesus says the night is coming when no one can work anymore. And then the wages will be paid. God freely gives to everyone. As so we see, the last shall be first and the first last. That's God's order because it's God's gift and not based on our work. And that's why salvation is possible for everyone, Jew and Gentile. It's even possible for that thief that was on the cross. You could say that was the eleventh hour of his life when he was about to die on the cross beside the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, today you'll be with me in my kingdom. He entered that kingdom at the last hour. And who knows, maybe some of the Jews complained too and said, well, he never worked in the vineyard. He never served God in his life. Why should he receive the same salvation as us? But how often do we think that way? In high school graduation, there was this survey. and asked a question, who, is least like, who do you think is least likely to succeed in life? So the name was given. But years later, it turns out he was one of the most successful and vice versa. There were some in high school who were so promising, they had everything going for them, and yet we saw them later and they were given to substance abuse, suffering broken relationships. So often the last will be first and the first last. Sometimes we look at other people that way, with little hope for them and high hopes for someone else, and yet God reverses it. So whether you're rich or poor today, whether you have many gifts or seemingly little, whether you've worked in God's kingdom from your youth, or if you're saved at an old age, God freely gives all things in Christ Jesus. We read in chapter nineteen how Jesus promises disciples that they'd receive great glory, and they here are entering. The New Testament age, they would be the founders of the the church. They were the missionaries who traveled the world. And Jesus said they'd receive many times more for what they'd lost. They'd inherit eternal life. But here Jesus says that those of you who are saved will have the same reward. You'll share in that glory with Christ in heaven. We often like to read about the martyrs, the reformers, about the the Christians who were tortured, who were burned at the stake, who were baked in iron cages, who who were fed to the wild animals, and we see their faith and their strength and their their work for God in this world. But you, if you're saved by Christ, will stand beside them in the glory of heaven to see Christ the Savior. You don't need to be a missionary, you don't need to be a minister. You need to be a mother, a wife. You need to be a husband, a father. You need to be an employee who works faithfully in the calling where God has placed you. You need to be a child who obeys their parents and the Lord for this is right. You need to be a student who is diligent in studies day in and day out, working in the vineyard of the Lord wherever he has placed you and whatever time He has placed you there. This is what God blesses, to stand strong in the faith wherever He has put you, working in His vineyard, whether in the heat of the day whether, or whether in the cool of the day, whether under the burden of the day or at the end of the day, just sweeping up the shop after the work is done, whether you're the youngest child here or the oldest member, God gives you all things in Christ Jesus not based on our worthiness, but based on the worthiness of Christ. It's not of works, but of grace. A justification by faith alone, not of works. No one is better, no one is more worthy than the next. And if we can see ourselves through Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. Christ is all and in all, and you are one in Christ so you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, God will give you. Amen.